So welcome back to Mixed Media Live. If you weren't here for the live stream, last uh, thing that we just heard was Ben describing his experiences watching the Black Panther score live, which is which sounded pretty freaking awesome. So if you want to hear about how that was, check out the prior episode. Um, yes. So for now, though, what I'm going to be doing is reacting to hot takes that they picked for me. I actually, so Ben gave me two different ones, which is kind of a nice out because I hadn't found myself one yet. Uh, so I'm going to react to both of his and I'm going to react to uh, Nathan's as well. But before we get started, I just want to say that we want to get to live streaming on Rumble, which is currently our biggest platform. So you guys there on Rumble, you guys are awesome. but you know, you guys click on the videos, you watch the videos. The first thing I want you to do more than anything is to comment. You guys hit the like button just fine. That That's perfect on Rumble. But I would like you to comment. But the second thing that you could help us do is to get live on Rumble, which for now costs money. And I'm not sure when they'll roll it, roll it out for free at the pace that they're going in terms of the tiers that they keep crossing. It might be a year or more, who knows? But I would like to be the premiere uh, live podcast. And for that, we need your help. So if you go to mixedmedia.locals.com, the link is also in the description slash, uh, I never points in the right direction on the right of the screen there. There's a link on the screen. If you go there, you'll find our locals page. I'd like to shout out the one person who joined our locals page. I know you didn't subscribe, but I just think it's awesome that you're joining there. This is uh, P. Ferguno, Ferguso. That's uh, probably Ferguson is your last last name is what I'm going to guess. Uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, welcome to our... What, yeah, Ferguson. <laughs> Ferguso. Uh, uh, but yeah, um, welcome to the, the Locals page. I think what I'm going to do, uh, and I'm, I think I'm just going to make this a permanent thing. So... This is this is the first. I'm going to update the locals page whenever I get a chance. I've been really busy lately, so it's been hard to manage things in general. But I'm going to make this live whiteboard on on this uh, side of the screen here. At the lowest tier, you get lifetime access to this whiteboard. But the the only caveat is that you have to respect the whiteboard, right? You can't do anything uh, inappropriate or anything like that. Uh, then then I'm going to have to to ban you from the whiteboard, unfortunately. But if you join at the lowest tier for the rest of your life, uh, as and until I change the tier permissions, um, everyone who joins at that lowest tier gets to scribble, doodle, live on the screen. You can tell me I'm stupid. Uh, <laughs> you can disagree with in drawing form uh, with the hot takes that are currently happening live. But that whiteboard right there, here, I'll prove it to you. I'll prove it to you right now. It's as simple as me going onto my iPad and going, hello. There we are. Yeah, all the audio only people are very confused. <laughs> yeah. Well, th this is more for live people than it is for uh, uh, those audio people anyway. Um, but yeah, if you're on audio only, what I'm talking about is there's a white live whiteboard on our live platforms, which are YouTube and Twitch as of now. Um, but yes, if you join, we can also be on rumble and that's my pitch for the day. Okay. So, uh, without further ado, we'll, uh, do the hot takes of the week. So let's see what we got here first. I'm going to do Ben's first. looks like, okay. I, I understand what's going on here. I'm going to put this one up. Uh, there we go. Uh, I'm going to resize this so you can actually look at it. <laughs> um, 
but I think in the title from my front of my seat in the other screenshot of yours, it looks like someone's uh, Stanley Kubrick uh, ranking uh, ranking system ranking thing on Letterboxd. Yep, exactly. Uh, okay, cool. Well, that's fun. I have not seen all the films on this list, but I've seen more than I remembered actually when I looked at it. I was like, huh. Um, some of them I've seen a long time ago, so so uh, I don't know if I can give uh, the most in-depth thoughts because some of them have been before I've ranked my own films on Letterboxd. Um, but what I can say is it's really cool that you're using Letterboxd. Guess who else is on Letterboxd? This person. If you search I-G-A-R-O-X on Letterboxd, you'll find me or search my name. I'm pretty sure you'll also find me on Letterboxd. Follow me. I'll follow you back because um, I'm curious about people's rankings all the time um i will say that uh my ranking philosophy is a little bit it's not just pure enjoyment so and you know people the way you rank things right is going to determine a lot about your list so it's kind of hard for me to tell what you're thinking when you put together this list if you're trying to think more of like you know what is the like some people think about things in terms of exclusively personal would i rather watch this movie than something else which is a little bit different from saying uh this movie is better than another movie in like some sort of like quasi objective sense um you know so there's there's many different uh, ways of of ranking movies for me i include like the for what it is ism you know like you know there are movies that are reaching higher than others right but it would be unfair to just trash on a movie that's trying to be a fun kids movie um you know, and it succeeds at that very well, right? Um, so yeah, that's my disclaimer before I react to this. So let me, let me make it big for myself so I can actually see it. So you've got number one, for those on audio only, number one is Dr. Strangelove, number two is The Shining, number three is Barry Lyndon, number four is Paths of Glory, number five is 2001 A Space Odyssey, six is Eyes Wide Shut, seven is Full Metal Jacket, uh, eight is The Killing, 11 is The Clockwork Orange. Uh, ten, sorry, 9. I can't count, apparently. <laughs> 10 is Spartacus. 11 is Lolita. Uh, 12 is Killer's Kiss. And 13 is Fear and Desire. So I actually have not seen the majority of these, but I have seen a good bit to understand why this is a hot take. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah. I think... I understand. I think I can vibe with some of this, though. Like, I think The Shining is one of his best by a good margin. Um, I think, I think there's like, I don't think. So actually, I'll say this first. I'm not like a huge Stanley Kubrick fan per se. I find his stuff extremely interesting, but I'm not, you know, particularly compelled by his stuff. So this is not coming from a Stanley Kubrick fan. Uh, perspective, although I respect his work for sure. So The Shining, I think, is an excellent film. 2001 A Space Odyssey being that low is, I think, a hot take. Um, I think people would put that in his top three. So 2001 A Space Odyssey is an amazing film. Uh, so I, I think I disagree with your placement there, uh, just because I think it's so visually compelling. I've never watched something that was so visually compelling, but its story was so kind of, I mean, on its own, very spare and like not not interesting if I were to explain to you the story of 2001 A Space Odyssey, despite what all those people say out there about how 
all these like different theories about all this and that. I think all of that's BS. I'm sorry. <laughs> the story. Wait, what theories are we talking about? I haven't seen the movie. Oh, okay. There's a lot of like, what does this mean? Like isms. I think it, a lot of it has to do with YouTube. Um, yeah, I, I've heard lots of people who like want to overanalyze it. Like, you know, is it? Is he trying to say something, or is you know? Is he not trying to say something, but saying something at the same time? Or does it like really, is it really some gigantic metaphor for something completely unrelated? Or does he have some special knowledge about humanity or something like that? Lots of lots like, on, that, on, on it. He's just trying to understand like what he was trying to say with the movie. Is that, is that what's happening? And it's just weird stuff. <laughs> I mean, I don't think he's really, I think the problem is that he's not trying to say much. And the, but there's so much space in the film for interpretation because of the way it's made that people just try to fill the space, like you know, with whatever they whatever comes to mind. Which, you know, I mean, that's fun. Like I, I'm 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 down with that. I'm not I'm not trashing on like alternative theories or anything like that. I just think for this particular film, it's not actually relevant. Uh, I mean, if you look at his own words about 2001: A Space Odyssey. I mean, he doesn't. He doesn't really ascribe the the motives that people. I mean, he. I can't remember. There is an interview. It's a tele, telephone interview over the radio, uh, and he says something about. I can't remember what it is, but it kind of destroys a lot of what people say about it. I think it's about the ending of uh, 2001: Space Odyssey, which is trippy, which kind of causes a lot of the theories, but I don't think means as much as people, you know. <laughs> want to ascribe to it um or at least you know maybe the, like he wasn't thinking of it on the same level that people are trying to think of it on uh, right on. exactly yeah it's a lot more practical funnily <laughs> funnily enough in terms of what's happening i mean what's happening there is kind of just a procession of the story like it's just it's just is what happens to this character you know what i mean um yeah, I, I know when I watched it the first time, I got to the end, I was like, what on earth am I watching? But <laughs> it, it has that effect, but... <laughs> yeah, it has a very psychedelic ending. Um, I want to watch, there's a, uh, there's a film that's like, uh, what is it? Is it Solaris? Oh, man, Ben might know this. Oh, uh, yes, Solaris uh, is a great film. I really want to watch it. That. That's, that's very high on my... One day. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, it's, it's, yeah, yeah. So for anyone who doesn't know, that's basically uh, Tarkovsky's big, uh, important Russian uh, director's his response to it to 2001: A Space Odyssey. Yes, and bring film responses back. Come on, like it's too rare these days. You got to talk to each other through your films, guys. Like I love that concept. So I have to, I have to watch Solaris. Um, for that, that's one of the main reasons I want to watch it. And there's also kind of a response in Tree of Life as well, in a way, um, at the end of Tree of Life, you know, there's, there's a lot of connections with these space films because it's kind of become a tradition amongst directors to make a big, gigantic space narrative something or another at some point. You know, you can think of Christopher Nolan with Interstellar, um, which is also kind of a response like they're all interacting with each other and speaking to each other about, you know, life, which is kind of what these space movie movies sort of bring out is what does life mean questions, you know? Um, so there's this big yeah. tradition. <laughs> I, I will say if you, if you, when you get to watch it, the music 
is UC music is very interesting. interesting. It's almost no music. And it's like, I think there's only I think there's only one piece of music in it. It mm. gets it gets reused at certain points in the film. It's very that interesting. Is, that is definitely interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I'll, uh, now that I've been reminded that I need to watch that, so I'm, I'm pr- I might even just uh, s- just buy the Blu-ray right after we get off uh, get off uh, the stream. Uh, so yeah, that, I think I disagree with that uh, placement there because I just think there's some images from that film that are just literally etched into my mind, like literally, like and there's sometimes the most simple images, but it's like something about the composition and just everything about how it's put together because that's the most interesting part about this this movie to me and i think that a lot of people have that experience with it i mean you'll see homages to this movie everywhere like literally everywhere in terms of colors in terms of composition in terms of uh reflections which is one of the big the the biggest tools used by the cinematographer uh to compose these really immaculate images very very um uh de- just deliberate and just uh, almost obsessive you know in terms of how these reflections will look the colors that come off it- it's just gorgeously made in terms of visuals so i think i would put uh 2001 space odyssey actually ahead of the shining for me personally because that visual quality is more interesting and the shining is also one of those movies that has a lot of over analysis just ridiculous amount of over analysis about the shining i guess stanley kubrick overall kind of has this he says not a lot but with a lot if that makes sense like he's saying not that much but with a lot of the theatricalness and so i think that brings about a lot of this over analysis uh it's also in uh a clockwork orange which i have not seen yet um um <laughs> but yeah i mean i the rest of it like i mean full metal jacket i i would also put higher but that's also i haven't seen any of the movies in between dr strangelove i'm not the biggest i i don't necessarily understand the devotion to that film uh so i think it's funny enough but my comedy like tastes are probably too particular for me to enjoy it is what i presume uh comedy is a thing i need to explore more in general um because I, I I don't know what it is about comedy that trips me up sometimes, uh, but Doctor Strange Love I respect the film, but I would I wouldn't put it number one by a long shot. I love the I love the inside jokes though, like the if you know you know jokes in there about like the atmosphere of of uh, the Cold War. Um, I, I think those are those are clever. Um, <clears throat> But yeah, I can't really hate on your list because I don't feel strongly about any of these things in general. So I guess that's where I'm at there. <laughs> so, uh, but thank you for the hot take and uh, I'll link you to this video afterwards. All right. So let's see. We've got Nathan's, which Nathan, you want to tell me what this one's about? Uh, if I remember. <laughs> Hold on, let me, let me. Oh yeah, okay. So the Reddit, the original Reddit post was something about Christopher Nolan making a new movie about an atomic bomb or something like that, uh, and Robert Oppenheimer, I believe. Um, and uh, I don't remember what. Oh yeah, the the the. I believe it linked to a news article, but uh, regardless, what it was saying was that uh, it's uh, Christopher Nolan was you know making uh, great demands from was it Universal. I think uh, oh. they used to do Warner Bros, right? Or something like that. Yeah, Christopher Nolan used to partner with Warner Brothers. Yeah, 
Yeah, okay. And with this movie is universal, and he made some demands. I wish I still had the <laughs> the thing, the Reddit thing up to know what demands they were. But I think it was like a hundred million dollars, a hundred plus days of of shooting, uh, stuff like that. <laughs> so yeah, basically, uh, this this thread is just people talking about that. Do you want me to read read it read over it? No, here I I've been taking a look at it. So I think I think I get the gist of what's uh what's going on here. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um Yeah, so it just sounds like a debate about like where what Nolan's direction should be, if I'm getting that right, um and like the internal politics of the studio system. I'm not, you know, obviously privy to <laughs> a lot of what's what's going on going on there and I'm I also don't even seek that information out terribly much so i don't know what's happening in terms of uh, all the machinations of the studios and who will work with who and what personal dramas have happened um but i do remember uh reading about how nolan was uh not going to work with warner brothers which was a big announcement you know it was a pretty big announcement (laughs) um and uh, i think rip warner brothers honestly like that that was a that was a poor poor move that was a big mistake i mean it's not just about whatever film he's going to make. It's about his name brand, which he knows clearly. Um, he clearly knows that people that that you know that he can throw his weight around here, and I'm not mad at that. He's allowed to throw his weight around, right? You know, with his uh, with his projects to get it done the way he wants it to be done. He's kind of solidified his role in the Hollywood system that way, and that's fine with me. I'm not going to get mad at him for that. Um, <clears throat> always got to negotiate the best deal you can. So yeah, that's interesting. Now I think him making another World War II movie, uh, kind of, as a Nolan, uh, I'm not. I'm not sure if I. I'm not sure if I can. No, I, have, I just have a personal connection with Nolan, just because that was kind of how I got into film um, through his sort of middle of career films, and I just. I don't know. I've just he's kind of lost a lot of magic to me as of late. His films have been too um uh too folk. I feel like he's trying so hard for this Bond film <laughs> that he really wants so bad. And on top of that, he's messing with ideas that um I think are ambitious in a way that I can understand why it would scare studios because uh, what's the film? The, his latest film. I don't know why I'm blanking on the, the name Tenet? of it. Tenant, yeah. Um, with Tenant, you had this quality of they spent a lot of money marketing this film. It did well, relatively speaking, for it being a pandemic film. Um, you know, and they, they pushed it hard. But, like, did it resonate with audiences? Like, is it is it at this point, like, damaging Nolan's brand long term? I think he's kind of venturing into that ter- territory where he's trying to be this blockbuster filmmaker. I remember even uh, reading um, reading about his, an interview where he talks about film sound. No, I watched a video about uh, Nolan's uh, sound mixing because I've noticed this problem as of late as well, where his sound mixing will be will very very much so muddy the dialogue, and I could I could never understand it because it never seems like a creative choice. It just seems like 
uh, a choice that was made at the beginning of the film and just carry out, out throughout. But it didn't accentuate anything. It just muddied my ability to hear the dialogue, which for a Christopher Nolan film, bruh, it's not like you're making mood films. Like, you gotta... <laughs> You know, you, you gotta you gotta give me some uh, dialogue action because I I, won't, I literally will not understand the film if I can't hear what's happening. Um, so yeah, I can understand people's skittishness about him lately. Um, I do think whoever picks him up will ultimately benefit, at least in the short term. I just hope that with this World War II film, this uh, bomb film, that he doesn't. It sounds more like a historically accurate film, as far as I can tell which means he's restraining himself to reality which i think is actually a good thing because i kind of miss his smaller endeavors um his budget is 100 million dollars is pretty large for that kind of movie i'm not not sure if i understand why he needs that much money uh if he's going to literally explode some bomb somewhere would not surprise me <laughs> I I can just imagine like my when I when you first mentioned this I haven't heard of this film but I can just imagine that like the climax screen is some like gigantic spectacle with the bomb actually going off and like something introspective from pro- probably Oppenheimer's point of view at the same same time and yeah yeah here's uh, more light on the on the agreement it's hundred million dollars. In marketing, wait, $100 million. <laughs> Nolan's deal reportedly includes total creative control, around $100 million budget, $100 million in marketing. Yeah, so 20%. usually marketing is double, is the is the same amount as your film budget. So usually that's usually you, you double the, the <laughs> film's budget to get the marketing number. Yeah. Wow, that's great. 20% of first dollar gross. Universal can't release any other movies for three weeks before or after his movie. <laughs> and his movie will play in theaters exclusively for 100 days uh, before it goes to streaming. Okay, so this this boy is trying to pull a Disney on. <laughs> okay, that's actually insane. Now, that I can understand pissing everyone off. That's a little bit ambitious, don't you think? I mean, $200 million. <laughs> I mean, Marvel doesn't even. I mean, depending on the film, they don't even get two hundred million dollars. So oh, like, wait. It doesn't look like Christopher Nolan went to people. People went to him. <laughs> it says in this article, last week, studio heads including Universal's Donna Langley, Sony's Tom Rothman, and Paramount's Jim Ginopoulos made the trek to Christopher Nolan's compound in the Hollywood Hills. <laughs> what? <laughs> You would think that, you know, if you're asking for money, you would go to them. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, you would yeah, just no, leave your sure. home and go to wherever. But no, they uh, went to him. Yeah, so Black Panther. So first of all, Black Panther opening made $202 million, which tells you something about the amount of money that Nolan is asking for. Get Think about Black Panther's opening, right? Doing $202 million. Um, let's see. So... Uh, the budget, though. By the way, uh, Apple Studios is also trying to get in on it, but it didn't happen. Huh. Well, Apple has a lot of money to throw around. <laughs> maybe, maybe it's yeah. the, the, the streaming clause. That yeah, if you look really... at the... That's part of the Reddit thing. If you look down a little more, uh, it says, quote... Oh, I can't see that. It says, it says, quote, so he's really negotiating with Sony, who may or may not agree. Oh, wait. 
I'm reading the wrong part. Oh, he's shooting himself in the foot by excluding Apple, Netflix, and Amazon by design. Uh, I don't know what he's talking about because Apple was there. <laughs> so I don't know. Maybe it's referring to something that was before. So yeah, like I mean, he's asking for Marvel money, which is like I mean, he is Christopher Nolan, but like if it's a movie about Oppenheimer, I'm not sure. I just don't understand the connection. Kind of money, <laughs> yeah, will it make the Marvel money? <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, I mean. Sure. I mean, pushback events. It's odd because, yeah. like, you would think that if he's going for a big play, he would go for, he would do something that is he's known for doing. You know what I'm saying? Which is not making a film about Robert Oppenheimer. You know? <laughs> yeah, like, or do something about like Albert Einstein instead. You know, like a name people actually recognize. Like, my familiarity with Oppenheimer is mostly that he has the same birthday as me. <laughs> That's mostly yeah. how I know of him. All right, but like if you did Albert Einstein, you know, who's also related somehow to the maybe less like dramatically important to the atomic bomb, but like that's probably going to get more people to know what you're talking about than Oppenheimer. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I don't really, uh, I don't fully understand uh, his reasoning here, but I mean, whatever it is, probably has some big kabooms somewhere or another because there's no other way I can think of it costing that much money. Um, which, okay, the streaming part is probably the part that annoys people the most, uh, and the theater part, that's probably what annoys the industry the most. I am fine with him pushing back on those fronts because I think they, there needs to be some pushing there to maintain the sacred space. But, bro, come on. You've got to do something more than just trying to bully your way around. You have to actually like be participating in the means by which cinema will continue to live. So with the thing I was saying about mixing, right? His reasoning is that he doesn't want to pander to th uh, theaters that have poor sound quality. He said, well-balanced theaters are going to have, like you're gonna be able to help hear his the dialogue in theaters that actually care about their audio and he said he's done pandering to them okay well there's something called the reality of the situation right and like <laughs> you know like the fact that i went to a relatively large amc theater and i had pro problems with hearing the dialogue and all the scenes i'm sure that you're right and that, that that's that theater's problem and every theater's you know physical construction is going to affect its sound quality and blah 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 right but you're focusing on the wrong problem that is like that is a problem for 10 years down the line when you've won the culture over <laughs> you know what i mean that's not a problem for now right now you're trying to fight for your life which means you should be mr nolan starting nolan cinemas or you should be partnering with a cinema and offering your name brand to them so that they can they can you know market better and you can work with them you know in terms of modernizing film marketing but instead I cinemas I, would be illegal though right uh, I mean, these days I'm not sure what is what is. I mean, if they're being consistent, it wouldn't be illegal. But they, <laughs> I, I I don't know. I don't know anymore these days what producer and production uh, separations there actually are um, with uh, with cinema. I mean, Netflix is allowed to produce and and uh, and uh, you know distribute their films at the same time. Uh, it's just on a streaming platform instead of a theater, but. I don't know. The courts are crazy. Who knows what would happen? I would test the boundary at least. You know, I would test the boundary and say, "Well, 
at least uh, I'm going to I'm going to throw my hat in the ring here and make everyone, you know, question where cinema should be going, you know. That's my two cents. So this sounds like he's focusing on not quite the right problem still, you know, like he's just not fully understanding where to throw his weight in order to have a long-term impact because I'm fairly certain that's what he wants is a long-term impact. I don't think it's just about his films. From hearing him talk about these things, I think he's kind of sad at the lack of reverence right for watching movies in general uh that is more prominent as of late but this is not the way to win that culture war right this is not this is not the winning strategy i don't think i think this push pressure in ways that you might actually just hurt theater chains like mixing your audio in a stubborn way might just hurt the theater chains that are kind of crippled to begin with so that's my hot take <laughs> okay last one i'll be quick about this one <clears throat> This one is from Ben. Uh, what, what's this one about? Uh, this this is basically someone summarizing a uh, video by someone named, I don't know who Edward Norton is, but this person basically saying that uh, the fault with, uh, with you know, things in theaters, not just it's not Netflix that's putting pressure on theaters, it's theaters that are damaging themselves. Ah. Um, oh, yes, yes. So Edward Norman. Uh, okay, yeah. So Edward Norton is a pretty big name actor. He's like famous for what, like Fight Club, Moonrise Kingdom. Uh, and I, I think he's a, I think he's a very talented person. And I think he loves cinema. Whenever you hear him talk, he's very, um, there are some actors you can tell it's more of a job and a personality than others. And I think he has a more of a devotion to the craft. Um, so yeah, I don't know much about him other than that though. Uh, yes, so he's saying it's this kind of this kind of just directly melts into what we were just talking about. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I was I was gonna say that. Yeah, I think he's kind of missing the mark as well in terms of what the most important fight here is. Like, it's not the theatrical experience is good enough to latch onto for now. You know, I I just think, you know, I mean, maybe I'm used to it in a, some ex, to some extent. Like, you know, if I go to a small theater here in New York, like a small independent theater, the quality is garbage compared to eat like a chain theater, which is, you know, I mean, if I'm going to a boutique place and I'm going to pay just as much, but I'm going to get a smaller screen, a really cruddy sound system. Every time I walk into an AMC theater, I realize just how much more they ha they are on their game, right? So, you know, in terms of audience experience, I think it's good enough for now. I have been to some chain theaters where I was uncomfortable or, you know, I thought that the projection quality wasn't as good. Yeah, brightness sometimes can be an issue. Um, I agree with that. Um, that's the first time I've ever heard someone actually complain about that, but I, I have noticed that, so <laughs> that's interesting. Um, and I agree with all those things, but those things are such minutia compared to the larger, like, you know, like the difference between being in a theater and me watching in my living room is so gigantic. And like the, the, the experience is so different in terms of me feeling like I'm watching it in its true medium when I'm in the theater than here that I think it's just a loss to try to 
convince people right now that these changes are are absolutely necessary in in order to for cinema to move forward i think it's more contrasting with me being at home like me i have a i have a semi-proper projection system ish i mean uh god those in these the av worlds i mean it's never enough but (laughs) um you know i mean most people are watching these most edward norton most people watch our movies on an iPad or a laptop. So digest that fact and put your energy in getting them off the laptop and into the theater. And I think that's more helpful than in the theater to a better theater experience. That can come later easily enough, I think. I'm not mad at his his take because I think there's some truth in it. I just think, don't think it's uh, you know the, the way to put your energy. Like we were talking about earlier, if you had a live orchestra in theater, that would do leaps and bounds more than you know like spending however many million i mean do you know how expensive i mean he may he may know but like those theater screens are mad expensive like an amc theater screen you know pretty large or a regal like you know a chain cinema screen those things can be like a million dollars like literally in of themselves you know wow so, i was not expecting you to say that <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I think I've seen like you know anywhere from like two hundred thousand dollars to a million dollars depending on the size and quality of the screen. So, <laughs> you know, these things literally have silver in them. Like they're that's why they're called the silver screen. It's called the silver screen, right? They literally have silver lining lining inside of it, and it's heavy. Like these things are literally like dense and heavy pieces of material. I'm sure the cost of putting it up is is ins- not insignificant as well and calibrating it, all the kind of stuff. So, I mean, I wouldn't tell them to replace, because the brightness problem literally is replacing the screen. I don't think the projection systems are the bigger problems, probably the screen, either that, or if it's the projection system, that's also a lot of money. A digital projector might be $200,000 per theater. So, (laughs) you know, I don't think, I think that $1.2 million would be better spent in advertising and more efficient in advertising. Old, they should use the old uh, LCD screen with uh, with a light behind it trick. <laughs> yeah, to get the fake brightness. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. That's my hot take.